Please turn with me to 1 Samuel 27, 1 Samuel chapter 27. And as you find 1 Samuel 27, if you would stand with me, let's pray together and ask that God would bless the, the teaching of the word. Father, we recognize your presence with us. You promise that where two or three are gathered, you're in our midst. We look back at last year and we express that great is your faithfulness. We look forward to this new year and we know that your mercies are going to be new for us every morning. And Lord, as we gather this Sunday morning, but also every time we gather throughout this year, we pray that you would be glorified, that you would take us deeper in the knowledge of you, that you would remind us of how much you love us, that you'd make us aware of the needs that are around us. We want to be used for your glory and for your purposes. So Lord, would you bless your people? Would you provide encouragement and challenge? We ask that you would bring fruit in our lives. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Before I get into the study this morning, I just want to briefly encourage you as we head into a new year to be praying what God has in store for you. I've been praying for our church and for vision and clarity. And what really comes to to my heart and mind is that we would be awakened again to the reality of God's love. A lot of times we talk about God's love, we communicate God's love, but to really live in the fact that we're loved by God, that we're created in his image, that we're his sons and his daughters, and then that that would then move us to a place where we want to share God's love. I think you'd agree that we live in very uncertain times, we live in challenging times, and God really is looking for a group of people that will surrender to him to be used for his plan and his purpose. We look at the book of Acts, and it's normal people that were committed to Jesus Christ, that were willing to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And as you go into this year, allow that to be an encouragement. Allow that to be a challenge. If God, I want to know your love in a greater way. I want to share that love with others. For this morning, for our Bible study together, we're going to talk about the interesting and the unusual. So are you ready for some interesting and some unusual facts? Well, the first is, is banging your head against a wall burns 150 calories an hour. I think they're going to build that into some new CrossFit exercises. It's impossible to lick your elbow. Oh, you tried it. Yeah, you tried it. Go ahead, try it. Can you do it? Anybody? It's impossible to lick your elbow. A a duck's quack doesn't echo, and no one knows why. In a study of over 200,000 ostriches over a period of 80 years, no one reported a single case where an ostrich buried its head in the sand. Interesting fact there. Rats and horses can't vomit. Exactly what you wanted to know on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, right? Heart attacks are more likely to happen on a Monday. Yes and amen on that. Here's the top six foods that make you pass gas. You ready for this? Beans, corn, bell peppers, cauliflower, cabbage, and milk. That information will help you as you head into your new year. So what does that have to do with our Bible study this morning? Absolutely nothing. Just a little bit of free information for you. What we're going to be looking at is a very interesting and unusual section of Scripture, especially in chapter 28. We're going to look at chapter 27, 
go into chapter 28, we find Paul, or excuse me, Saul, in a very bad place spiritually, and he goes to a medium to contact Samuel, and then Samuel comes and gives a message to Saul. So it's very interesting and unusual. Chapter 27 is a transition chapter for us. We find David struggling with despair, struggling with discouragement because he's dealing with Saul for so long. He goes to the Philistines to find refuge. So verse 1, and David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel. So I, so I shall escape out of his hands. Underline careful attention. And David said in his heart, he didn't say it out loud. He didn't communicate it to God. He didn't confess it to people. It simply had entered into his heart that he was at a place of despair. And what does he say? He says, I'm going to die by the hand of Saul. Is that what God had communicated to Saul? God had communicated to him that he was going to protect him, that he was going to be the next king of Israel. In chapter 26, it's been a few weeks, but you'll remember that God very supernaturally protected David. Saul and his 3,000 men had fallen asleep, a deep sleep from the Lord. David was able to walk in and to take Saul's spear, to take his jug of water. Saul says, David, I'm not going to hurt you anymore. I'm not going to hunt for your life anymore. David says, I've heard that before. And he realizes that Saul's going to continue to be his enemy. And instead of responding in faith, he responds in despair. Can I speak to your heart this morning? Maybe as you enter into this new year, you just find yourself in a place of despair. You don't communicate it to your spouse. You don't share it with your friends, but it's in your heart. I've dealt with Saul too long. I've been through this trial for too many weeks now, too many years now. It, it's ongoing. Maybe it's a, a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's very personal. It's inside of your marriage. But you just feel like there's this harsh person that continues to, to beat me up. I'm never going to get away from them. Maybe it's a circumstance and you just feel underneath that trial. And you've been fighting it. You've been trusting the Lord. But you woke up this morning. You've been waking up for a while now feeling like it's never going to end. There's never going to be any hope in this particular situation. If David wrestles with this, we're going to wrestle with it as well. If we're honest, there's going to be seasons of our life where we're going to have despair. It's important that we don't make choices and actions out of this place of discouragement. David's going to. We're going to see the result of it. How do you handle despair? How do you handle discouragement? Going to the Lord. Having that honest conversation with God. I feel like Saul's gotten the best of me. Open up to other brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't deal with it in isolation. A lot of times in my life when I open up about the despair that I'm feeling and allow someone to pray with me, it's oftentimes when the encouragement comes. So David's discouraged. What does he do out of his discouragement? He says, I'm going to go to the land of the Philistines because Saul is not going to come after me here. Had God been faithful to David while he was dwelling in Israel? Absolutely. Had God called his people to dwell in Israel? Yes. Was it God's plan, first and foremost, for, for David to go and try to find refuge with the Philistines? No, but David got himself off track here. Notice who's affected in verses 2 through 4. 
Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. So David went with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinomi, the Jezreelite, Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. David's 600 men, plus their spouses, plus their kids, plus David's two wives, they've all got to go into this Philistine country. When we're discouraged and we act out of discouragement, it affects those that we love the most. It affects our families. It affects our coworkers. It affects the body of Christ. You know, how many times has my discouragement affected the, the body of Christ? We don't look at our lives that way. We don't think that we're linked to, to other believers, but we are. We're, we're traveling together. We're the body of Christ. And maybe you have brought your wife, you've brought your kids, you've brought close friends along with you in these actions of discouragement. David's predictions work for the momentary. Saul's not going to pursue him in the land of the Philistines. Then David said to Achish, I have now found favor in your eyes. Let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? David's request to Achish is, can I have my own city to dwell in? He wants some distance between him and this king of the Philistines. Also, this shows that David is making some permanent arrangements. He's thinking that this may be a long period of time that he's going to have to hide out with the Philistines. So Achish gave him Ziglag that day. Therefore, Ziglag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Did you catch that? So the Philistine king gives David Ziglag. And then going into the future to the rest of the kings of Judah, of southern Israel, they have this city Ziglag. It's amazingly simple how things pass on through time and generations. Why does your family do what they do on Christmas Eve? Because great-grandma started it. Great-grandma started baking this. Why do we do what we do in church? Because, well, someone was sick a hundred years ago, and that changed the course of what happened Sunday mornings, and now we're doing it ever since, right? Now, that I don't know. I'm just pretending there. Maybe exaggerating a little bit. But my point is this, is legacy and tradition gets passed on pretty simply, so be careful what you do. Before you know it, there'll be future generations that will be dwelling in Ziglag as well. David gets his request. Now, the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. This is 16 months. 16 months. Why would Achish allow himself to enter into partnership with David because they have the same enemy. David's enemy is Saul. Achish's enemy is Saul as well. G. Campbell Morgan says this about this verse. It's impossible to see David taking refuge in Gath without recognizing that he had lost for the time being the clear vision of God which made him strong against Goliath. He faced the Philistines. He faced their champion in faith because he had a clear vision of God. But now in this moment of despair and discouragement, he'd lost that clear vision of God. We find no psalm of David during this 16 months. You can't find a psalm and link it back to this period when he's hiding in the land of the Philistines. This is a 
dark time for him. This is a difficult time for David. And we'll see that in some of his actions in these next few verses. And David and his men went up and raided the Girgashites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Sur, even as far as the land of Egypt. David raids the enemies of Israel. Joshua comes into the promised land. God said to wipe out these nations, and this is who David fights. Israel never was able to have complete victory over these nations. In verse 9, whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. Then Achish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Jermalites, or against the southern area of the Kenites, David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. This is brutal. David goes into these villages he kills all of the men, he kills all the women, he kills all of, of the children because he doesn't want any of them coming to the Philistine king and saying, David has done this. Achish was under this understanding that David was going against Israel, that David was going against his own people group. Now granted, these are the enemies of God that God had said to wipe out, but this is not a time of war. And really the reason that David is doing this is his, for his own survival. We're really seeing David take his preservation of himself into his own hands. It's too difficult to trust God. I, I don't have the patience for God to, to deal with Saul, so, so I'm going to come up with this. I, I'm going to come up with this lie to Achish. I'm going to find a way to make my own survival. And we can get there. We can get to that place where we say, it's too difficult to trust God. It's too hard to, to do it God's way. So I'm going to take things into my own hands. And verse 12, so Achish believed David. He has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant for, forever. Achish is going, man, he's being so brutal to Israel. He's going to be my servant forever. We're starting to see a sin struggle in David's life, a tendency, and it's a tendency to lie. This great man of God, this man who defeated Goliath, who trusted God so greatly, when the pressure's on in his life, that's going to be a struggle. He went to the priest, Ahimelech, and he lied and said that Saul had sent him on a secret mission that ultimately resulted in the death of, of the priests and, and, and their families that weighed on David greatly. Here he's, he's lying to, to Achish for his own survival. Where is this going to end up in his life? He sins with Bathsheba, commits adultery. He lies about it. He covers it up. He lies to Uriah. Then he plots Uriah's death. And he lies to Joab about Uriah's death. And you're saying, well, then why does God call him a man after God's own heart? Because being a person after God's own heart doesn't mean you're perfect. What's different about David than Saul is in the midst of his struggles, he wrestled with the Lord. And he comes back to his relationship with the Lord. David wrote this in one of his songs. Psalms 120 verse 2, it says, Remove from me the way of lying lips. We don't find that with Saul. 
We don't find Saul ever facing the music of his own sin, and we find that with David. And be encouraged this morning. Maybe you're feeling like, man, if you knew the kind of year I had in 2015, the last 16 months, man, it's been really difficult. I've been in a place of despair. I haven't been trusting the Lord. Could I be someone that's after God's own heart? Absolutely. Respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Get right with the Lord. Being someone who loves the Lord doesn't mean that you're perfect, but it does mean you're going to press through and get up when we fall, get up when we struggle. It'd be nice if we never struggled, wouldn't it? We'd like to pretend that about ourselves. That didn't come out quite right. (laughs) We'd like to pretend that about ourselves. But the reality of it is, is we struggle, we sin, just like David. And hopefully we're responding in that way of conviction. Let's go into chapter 28. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, you assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. Lies will always catch up with us. David's now in the pressure cooker of his own lie. Achish is saying, at this point, you're going to come fight with me. We're going to go take on the Philistines together, and you're going to be one of my most trusted officers. And David's got to be thinking, how am I going to get out of this one? I can't go attack my own people. But at the same time, Achish is going to come to find out the truth. The truth's always going to be known. The truth's always going to be found out. The focus now goes to Saul. We'll come back to to David in prior study, in a future study, but now we focus on Saul. Now Samuel had died, and all of Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah, in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Samuel's death's already been recorded. It's brought up again to show us the spiritual vacuum that's in Israel. It's also documented for us that Saul, at some point as being king, had put out all of the mediums, all the spiritists, all the demonic activity that God in his word, in the Old Testament, in the law, had said to not be part of Israel. And he was faithful to do it. But we'll find that Saul's heart wasn't in line with his command. In verse 4, Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Sunem. So Saul gathered all of Israel together, and they camped at Gilboa. Gilboa is a northern city in Israel. It shows how far the Philistines were able to come into Israel and their territory. The stage is set. The battle's at hand. Israel is grossly outnumbered. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord didn't answer him, either by dreams or by the Urim or by the prophets. He's crying out to God. He's in great distress. He's trembling. He's inquiring of God. God's silent. Doesn't speak through the prophets. Doesn't speak through a dream. Doesn't speak through the umum and the thumum, which was the breastplate of the the high priest, the way that God would direct in, in the Old Testament. Why is God silent? Why wouldn't God speak to Saul? One of the reasons, I believe, is because Saul is just seeking deliverance. He knows that he's in a jam. He knows he's about ready to be defeated and he wants God's deliverance, but he doesn't want relationship with God. He's not interested in repentance. He's not interested in walking with the Lord. 
And that's our lives sometimes, isn't it? We go, God, I want you to get me out of this financial jam. God, help me in this relational difficulty. I'm tired of my health situation and, and this, this pain that, that I'm in. Lord, just, just deliver me. But we're not really interested in walking with the Lord. We're not interested in knowing him. We're not interested in having a relationship with him. It's entirely different to go, God, whatever you want to do in my life, you do, but I want to know you. And yeah, I would love to have deliverance in this area of my life, but even more so, I want to be close to you. I want to walk with you. I want to hear your voice. I want you to be the good shepherd. And that's difficult to wrestle through those questions. Another hard question that we find in Saul is Saul was unwilling to obey what God had already spoken to him. So why would God reveal something new to him or to speak to him again? At some point, you've communicated so much that your silence speaks the loudest. I've already said it. Do what I've told you. God's the ultimate father. You know, how many times as a parent have you had conversations with your kids and say, you know what, we got to get back to point A. I know you don't like point A, you don't want to deal with point A, but before we can go on to B, C, or D, I got to bring you back to A. I had a lot of those conversations with my parents growing up. Eric, you need to come back to A. You need to do A. And Saul was unwilling to obey and respond to what God had already spoken to him. We have to examine God's silence in our lives sometimes. God is silent sometimes, not because of our disobedience, but because he's growing us in faith. You've probably been through a season like that or going through a season like that where God's teaching us it's not about feelings. It's a time to walk no matter if we hear his voice or not. But then there's other times where God's silent because he is trying to get our attention. So we have to examine, God, is there something you've spoken to me that I haven't responded to? Seeking God's direction for this new year. But maybe there was something he said in 2014. 2015, that we haven't heeded. I think there's good reason for God's silence to Saul. This is how Saul responds. Then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who's a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endora. A medium is someone who channels the dead, who, who speaks uh, to the dead and asks the, the dead to come and communicate. And that's who Saul is seeking out, even though he'd kicked them out of, out of the land, made it illegal. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes and went and two men with him and they came to the woman by night. And he said, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Why does he disguise himself? He doesn't want to be recognized. He kicked everybody out who is a, a medium. He goes under the cover of night and he's asking and requesting of this medium. Verse 9, then the woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? What's the catch? You know the rules. You know that Saul has made this illegal. If I'm found out doing this, this could be the end of my life. And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Saul's very quick to throw out God's name, even though there's no conviction. Oh yeah, I swear by the Lord, nothing's gonna, gonna happen to you. Then the woman said, whom shall 
I bring up for you. And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, why have you deceived me, for you are Saul. Something happens here that she doesn't expect. She calls for Samuel, Samuel comes up, and she's completely freaked out. Whatever would happen normally, maybe sometimes it was a complete hoax. People are vulnerable, they had a loved one pass away. They would come to her and make a request, maybe like, could you call up Great Aunt Bertha for us? And well, what do you need to know from Great Aunt Bertha? We need to know her apple pie recipe. We didn't get that before she, she passed away. Okay, I'll be right back. Do my thing and come back and says, the key to the apple pie is a lot of sugar. That's what Great Aunt Bertha said, right? Could have been a complete hoax sometimes. Sometimes maybe she saw demons and demons coming in, in the form of a, deceased family member. and That wasn't anything that scared her. That was completely normal to her, but she didn't expect to see Samuel. When she sees Samuel, the light bulb goes on that she's indeed talking with Saul. So verse 13, and the king said to her, do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he's covered with a mantle and he's Yoda. No, doesn't say that. Sorry, got a little carried away with the fever. Samuel comes up and he's got his mantle. What's his mantle? It's his robe that identifies him as a, as a prophet. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. One of the things I love going through the Bible verse by verse is you'd probably not hear a topical message on this section of scripture. This is actually a section that's widely debated, and there's a lot of different ideas of what exactly is taking place. So let's lay out the most common ideas. One is people think that the medium was having a hallucination, that that's all that was taking place is she's starting to, to hallucinate. If that was the case, why did she get terrified? Also, how come Saul has a conversation with Samuel and Samuel speaks the message of God? Another is that this is just deception by the medium, that she actually didn't, didn't see anything, but that doesn't hold water for the exact same reasons. Another idea is that this is a demon impersonating Samuel. And if that were the case, then why would the demon speak the message of God? Why would he remind Saul of the word of God? What would benefit Satan in having a demon do that? So that doesn't seem to add up. So then that leaves us with the last possibility that this is indeed Samuel. That God allows Samuel to come up and give a message to Saul, which is, I think, exactly what takes place. It's what the text claims. The text claims that it is Samuel. God in his mercy... And grace is communicating to Saul, even in Saul's hard-hearted state. And God can communicate in a lot of unusual ways. Now, having said that, that God in his grace communicates this way this time, there's no place in scripture that God instructs us to communicate with the dead. And this is a really popular thing to do. A lot of people, I think, get to a place where they're grieving and they're, they're really mourning for the loss of a loved one. And so they say, I want to I 
talk with them. And so they're looking for ways to, to talk with the dead. And that's not something that God ever instructs us to do. And what we do find from scripture is that when someone dies, they do enter into eternity, either to heaven or to torment and to, to judgment. It's one of the two. And we don't see that then they have this open access to communicate back with us. This is an unusual situation that God allowed. And we say things a lot of times out of comfort, out of a desire for comfort that aren't biblical. Like, well, they're always with us. And I, I hate to be the one to, to ruin this for you, but they're not always with us. They, they've stepped into eternity. And would we really want that for the ones that we love? Please don't wish that on me, okay? When I go home to be with the Lord, I don't want to be here anymore, right? I don't want to see this crazy mess anymore. I want to be with the Lord. I want to behold the, the face of the Lord. And, and that's the truth. We, we go home to, to be with the Lord and we're, we're no longer here. But we understand why people would say that. Why do you have to be careful about communicating with the dead? Because the demonic realm is real. And I think a lot of times when people think that they're encountering a dead loved one, that they could be actually encountering a demon. It's so emotional, it's so personal, it's so impacting, that if then that dead loved one, who's actually a demon, tells them to do something or gives them a message that doesn't line up with scripture, it's really easy to elevate that experience above scripture. So whatever spiritual encounter that you have, or angelic encounter that you have, you always have to run it back through scripture and holding on to scripture. So this is an unusual situation that God uses to communicate to Saul out of his love, but it's not God's instruction to us. It's kind of like this. Maybe you're saying, you know what? I, I was totally strung out on pot, smoking pot and reading my Bible, and God really spoke to me. Guess what? That's God's grace and mercy that he spoke to you in that state. That's not God's instruction that that's the way that you should read the Bible all the time. Amen? Some are looking at me like, oh, I never realized that before. That's your New Year's resolution right there. That's your New Year's resolution. You got the Holy Spirit. If, you know, if you're the child of God, you've got the Holy Spirit. It's not the way that God would intend to speak to you. That was his grace and his mercy. So if that just struck a chord uh, with you, call the church office. We'd love to talk to you more about that. Let's go on into verse 15. Now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? <laughs> Samuel's like, man, come on, really? I was having a good time. And you had to bring me back up for this? Give me a break. And this shows us the reality of where Samuel is and how good it is. How good it is. So where was Samuel? Prior to Christ's death and resurrection, believers went to something called Abraham's bosom or paradise. So you want to write down Luke chapter 16. We see Lazarus, the beggar, who was a believer prior to death, Christ's death and resurrection. He goes to Abraham's bosom, to the place of paradise. But then there was this gulf that was, you couldn't pass where there was a rich man who knew Lazarus that was in the place of torment, this holding tank for the, the final judgment. You couldn't pass. You couldn't go from the place of judgment over to the place of paradise. When Christ died and rose again, all of those believers that were in paradise went to heaven to be with the Lord. We know from 2 Corinthians to be absent from the body now as believers is to be present with the Lord. That's good news. As soon as we die, we don't go to Abraham's bosom. 
We go right to be with the Lord. But this does show the reality of eternity, the reality of what takes place after we die. Saul answered and said, I'm deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Saul is distressed about the wrong things. He's distressed about the Philistines instead of his relationship with the Lord. He's concerned with the consequences, not his relationship with God. He knows that God has departed from him. Who initiated the departure, God or Saul? Saul. Saul's the one who walked away from the Lord. Saul's the one who's departed from the Lord. And ultimately, God confirmed that decision. One Bible teacher puts it this way, God never departs from a man until the man has departed from him. Then, in the interests of righteousness, God is against that man. Eventually, God will come and he'll confirm that decision that someone has made and God departed from Saul. Then Samuel said, so why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Sure sounds like Samuel, doesn't it? Samuel reminds Saul of the word. He said, God spoke this to you. This was exactly what the Lord said would happen when you walked in rebellion and when you walked in compromise. Verse 18, because you didn't obey the voice of the Lord nor execute his fierce wrath upon the Amalekites, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. 1 Samuel 15, God spoke this to Saul when he didn't obey completely, when he didn't destroy the Amalekites. Samuel comes to Saul and he says, God's going to tear the kingdom from you. He's going to give it to someone else. God didn't change his mind. God's not one who relents. The message of God, the word of God, stays true. This is about 15 years later. From chapter 15 to chapter 28, 15 years have gone by, and God hasn't changed his mind. His message is the same. And that's encouraging. Five generations in the past, God's message was the same. In the future, God's message is the same. God doesn't change. He doesn't relent. Verse 19, Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. God's judgment falling upon Saul. Israel's going to be defeated. Saul, you're going to die. Tomorrow you're going to die. Your sons are going to die with you. The army is going to to be captured. When God's judgment falls, it comes swiftly. It comes quickly. As we've been following Saul's life, you almost want to go, Saul, when are you going to have it coming? David had to be wrestling with, well, God, when are you going to hold Saul accountable? And God says, I've got it. It's going to happen in my time. God is long-suffering. He's merciful and he's patient. A lot of times in our lives, when we're walking in rebellion, the consequences don't come right away. Why? Because God's wanting to draw us back with his kindness. But don't misunderstand, don't mistake God's kindness and his patience for God's approval. Maybe you're sleeping around with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you're living together, and you're believers, 
You love Christ and you're committed to Christ and, and yet somehow you've, you've justified this. And you feel like, man, there's no consequences. We're getting away with it. And God's even blessing our relationship. Don't misunderstand. God's kindness is wanting to lead you to repentance. And God's got something better for you. It's called marriage. It's called sex inside of marriage. It's according, according to his plan. Maybe you're cheating on your spouse and you're thinking, I'm getting away with it. I go on these business trips and flirt around. Nobody even knows. It's in your heart. It's in your actions. And man, I'm, I'm blessed. Everything's going great. I'm sitting by my spouse right now. She, ha- she has no idea. God knows. Repent before the hammer falls. Because when it does, it's going to drop quickly. It's going to come swiftly. God loves you enough to expose it and bring it out. And it's much better to turn yourself into the Lord, to turn yourself in with the appropriate people for the sake of relationship with God and others, not just for the sake of getting out of the consequences. Jonathan is going to die with Saul. The reality of our compromise and our rebellion is it affects those that we love the most. Jonathan was a righteous man, a faithful man, but yet he's going to fall with his father. And we have to understand that that's the weight of our sin at times. That's the consequence of, of our sin. And verse 20, immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel and there was no strength in him for he'd eaten no food all day or night. This had to hit him so hard. A ton of bricks, hearing of God's judgment that was gonna come. And the chapter ends out, and the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, and I have put my life in your hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now, therefore, please heed the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. The last supper for Saul. The last meal. He's on death row. God's judgment is going to come upon him. So how do we apply this unusual and interesting chapter. First is we've got to see the danger of despair being in our hearts. In just a moment, we're going to pray, we're going to stand and sing, and we desire that this would be a time where God would minister to our hearts. And if you're in despair, we want to invite you to come and pray with someone on the ministry team. Husbands and wives come to get down together. God works as we open up and we share with one another. Allow this to become a, a ministry time. Turn to someone next to you Say, would you pray with me? I'm in that place of despair. Because despair in the heart, unchecked, it becomes dangerous. God's not going to speak to us if we're disobeying what he's already told, what he's already communicated to us. Go back to point A. Go back to what the Lord has challenged you in and instructed you in and start obeying in that place. Test for every spiritual encounter by the word of God, by the word of God, by the word of God. Test it by the word of God. God can speak in some very unusual ways because of his love for us. And we see that in this section of scripture. And then when God's judgment comes, it comes swiftly. Maybe 
this morning you're saying, Eric, it just feels like there's not a lot of hope for me. I, I relate with Saul in a lot of ways. Has God departed from me? If I return to the Lord, will God restore me? And remember the difference between David and Saul? You can argue that David's actions were much worse than Saul if you took these two chapters and you put them right next to each other. But David's a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he returned to the Lord. He said, remove from me the, the lying lips. God never casts away a broken, repentant sinner. And we can't assume that there's no Saul in us. We can't assume that God's not pleading with our hearts, that he's not taking scripture and showing us a man for a reason and saying, come back to me. You're his son, you're his daughter. Saul once had a vibrant relationship with the Lord. And as we stand and sing, some will be coming to receive prayer because they're in a point of despair. But some of you need to come and receive prayer because you need to come back to the Lord. And there's important to take action. And that step of faith to allow someone to pray with you means that you believe in prayer, you believe in God's power to restore. And God's the God who restores the, the prodigal unto himself. But there's a third response, and maybe you've never trusted Christ for salvation. And you just sat through one of the most bizarre chapters in all of Scripture. You made it. You're like, what does that all mean? Well, it means this, that God loves you. If he communicated in this strange way to Saul, he's communicating to you right now through the love of his son. Jesus died for you. He rose again. He wants a personal relationship with you. Why do you need a savior? Because you've sinned just like all of us. Will you repent of your sin, turn away from your sin, trust Christ for salvation? As people are responding for prayer, for despair, getting right with the Lord, maybe you need to come, find someone on the ministry team and say, would you pray with me? I'm ready to receive Christ as my savior. There's someone else that did some seeking at night. Saul was doing seeking at night of a medium. There's a man named Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night and realized his need for salvation, his need to believe and trust Christ for forgiveness of sin. So let's stand, let's worship, let's respond as is needed. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that your heart is always to draw us near to you, unto yourself. Would you remove the despair from our hearts and our lives? It gets long, it gets burdensome and tiring dealing with a Saul or a situation like Saul that's a brutal taskmaster. And God, would you give encouragement? Would you move people to, to respond? Lord, for those that find themselves like Saul in, in a hard-hearted state, we know it's not too late. We pray that you would bring, do a great work of restoration and redemption as they respond to you and cry out to you. We pray for those that don't know you that today would be the day of salvation. God, we love you. As we sing together, we recognize our, our need afresh for you as our Savior. Jesus, would you walk with us? Would you manifest your presence to us? God, would you bless your people, meet their needs, comfort them with your love.